Hi, and welcome to Thought Bubble. My name's Scott Millward. Here, I'll be talking to thought leaders from various industries, sharing their insight into their area of expertise and creating a thought bubble around the topics that matter. Let's jump into it. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. Really excited for today's podcast. Today I've got Mark Williams, the LinkedIn trainer or Mr. LinkedIn as he's often referred to. Mark is probably the most experienced person I know on the platform when it comes to LinkedIn training, um, profile optimization, and just sort of giving people advice as to what they should and shouldn't do on the platform. Mark is also the host and founder of LinkedIn Inform podcast, which is just a fantastic podcast, which brings some really good hints and tips, which everyone should check out. Mark also does one-to-one training and advice for people who want to get better at using LinkedIn. So welcome, Mark. Thank you very much, Scott. It's, um, it's a bit weird for me, this being... Well, it's not really the other side of the microphone. I kind of do this every week, but I'm normally talking to myself rather than someone else. <laughs> so it's unusual for me. Yeah, well, I thought it might be good to get the insight from the other side where I'm asking you the questions rather than you asking the questions yeah. today. Yeah, well, obviously, you, you came on my podcast, which is a very popular episode, I have to say. Partly, I think, because I think we've probably been building up to that episode for quite a while because increasingly what I've noticed is that more and more people are interested in posting and going viral and getting great responses and getting great engagement and um, I was very lucky in the sense that you're only local to me and so we could meet up have a coffee and chat about that and I knew that my audience would love what you had to say so it was a great episode actually. Yeah and hopefully we can uh, we can replicate that here. So today I wanted to pick your brains a little bit on sort of strategy really for the platform Um, I think that's where people like to start in terms of profile optimization where they can start with wanting to you know build some credibility on the platform for whatever reason they have yeah I mean I think strategy is one of those things that um, when I'm doing group sessions that it's quite difficult because what I can do with strategy is ask them to think about things they need to ask themselves questions and work out what they want to achieve and when I'm working one-on-one it's much more different because I can actually sit down with someone and say, what do you want to get out of this? And now let's work back and work an actual strategy for that specific thing. Ultimately, what it always comes down to is who you're trying to reach and what are they interested in? Most people's strategy in marketing often is the opposite of that. It's who you want to reach and what do we want to tell them? Um, but yeah, they, on start, they started the wrong way around. Yeah, exactly. And the, certainly my experience of this is, and I call it topics, so I, I encourage people to Think of five topics. The challenge is come up with five topics that you know resonate with your target audience. Not you assume you know. So you've seen that it does resonate, right? And I started saying that quite a while ago, and it didn't work very well because I'd sit down with somebody who sells widgets and I'd say, right, tell me about a topic that resonates with your audience. And they'd go, well, let me think, widgets? <laughs> I'd be like, Really, so what you're telling me is that your target audience spend a lot of their time thinking about your product and what it does for them. Is that true, really? (laughs) And of course it isn't. So I've now changed that advice or that directive, really. I say, come up with five topics and two, at least two, have to have nothing to do with your products or service in any way, shape or form, right? Absolutely, completely unrelated. And um, then we start getting nearer to the stuff that really matters. So I I completely agree with that. Um, I think one of the things that, so when you say about the five topics, people talk about five things that they 
they want to talk about. Yeah. Which is, very, which is very different to five things that your audience want to hear. Absolutely. Or the audience want to talk about. Yeah. Because it's one thing wanting to hear. Um, it's another thing wanting to talk about. So that's another angle to this. So give me a topic. Okay, whatever that topic might be. I can't think of an example off my head. doesn't really matter. And they come up with a topic and I go, right. So let's think about what people would want to talk about around that. Because if, if all you do is post something on LinkedIn that is kind of likable, right, then it doesn't give you a chance to build a relationship. The comments are critical. So your, your aim is to start a conversation. It's not to put something out that people like or share. It's to start a conversation. Now, you'll get like If you get comments, you'll get likes, guaranteed. And likes are good, but your objective is to start a conversation because once you start doing that, then people comment and you reply. You must reply to every comment. And by doing that, the lurkers, as we call them, the people that aren't engaging, which is the vast majority of people and all the people that you're interested in, see that. And every time you comment, they learn more about you. Right? And so by doing so, what you're doing is breaking down those barriers. Yeah, and when, when they've seen 50 comments and you've replied to every single one, they have the confidence that they know if they ask a question, they're getting a response. Absolutely. Whether they like that response or not, they're going to get one. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what the point of the platform is, is engagement with your audience. Now, if you just put if you just put out profound things and just don't engage with your audience, you're never actually gaining anything. I'm I mean, never learning anything about you, really. No. You know, these people that put out quotes, um, great, but so I want to know your opinion on that quote. I, I have a part-time hobby where I make fun of people that write these ridiculous quotes that don't mean anything. <laughs> people like Oleg come to mind, which they, you know... Um, th- yeah, think think about yesterday but and tomorrow will come. Or some, you know, th- yeah. something completely ridiculous, which doesn't mean anything. Yeah. People go, oh, wow, that's so, you know, so wise. And thank you, I needed that. And, yeah. you know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. It brings no context. It brings no benefit to anyone. No, um, and, and, and that, that's, that's absolutely the case. So the more you can actually demonstrate who you are through your content and comments, then the more your audience are going to start to buy into who you are and want to do business with you, which at the end of the day is what we're trying to do, right? So, and here's a little story for you. This happened to me literally two weeks ago. And um, I got this piece of business from a client, quite a big client, and it's probably going to be worth quite a lot of money to me this year, right? Which is great. And it was referred to me vast majority of my business is referred to me. But the thing what made me feel a bit uncomfortable about it, and you know what I'm like with things like this, I'm a bit sensitive to people being disingenuous or not honest or not completely straight. It's something that really sparks me a bit, really. And um, the guy that had referred me, I honestly couldn't even remember him, right? And eventually, I, I looked him up on LinkedIn, looked at when we were connected, and I do remember that I did meet him at a networking event but probably five years ago, and I've never engaged with him on the platform or met him or spoken to him or swapped emails with him or anything since, right? And it wasn't just that he'd referred me. It was that the person that contacted me, which was a, you know, a senior level guy in this quite big company, said to me, yeah, I was speaking to, I won't say the guy's name, but speaking to him, da-da-da, and he said this and that about you and da-da-da. And, and it was quite clear from what he was telling me that this guy was making out that he knew me really well and that made me feel uncomfortable because I thought he's bought this referral on false pretenses because I don't even know who this guy is, right? Anyway, I was telling my girlfriend this as we were driving along. And she said to me, but it makes perfect sense to me. And I went, what do you mean? She said, he does know you really well. And do you know what? Even me, given what I do, I'd just forgotten about that. 
You know, of course he knows me really well. He sees me all the time. He sees what I have to say. He sees my comments. Now, we might listen to the podcast as well, which probably helps, but that's what we're trying to do. You know, we, I think we sometimes forget that there's this whole audience out there that we never even see, but actually they're buying into us because we are commenting and being seen on a regular basis. I think that's what you sign up for as well, isn't it? That these people understand you and know who you are. The whole goal of producing content on LinkedIn, I think, is to build context around yourself. If you can build context around yourself, you've probably got a chance of building context around your product or service. And if you do that well enough, you've probably got a chance of getting some sales in there somewhere, which I think is the goal for most people. Yeah, because people buy from people, right? And they always have done and they always will do. And all you're really trying to do is give people the opportunity to understand you. The buyer makes the decision. The buyer wants to feel they make the decision. It's not about how can I persuade you to do business with me. It's more how can I give you access to me to understand me to feel that you want to do business with me. And that's what we're trying to achieve. And I think the one thing that people don't understand is that marketers with strategy are actually selling but just in a more long-term, more effective way than mm. most salespeople. Mm. I'm looking, you know, for, for MBA, for, for my organization, you know, it's probably a three to six month process for us to sign a client because mm. what we do is fairly expensive and it's fairly complex. So mm. it takes a long time to build relationships, you know, and, and understand what the solution is. So that takes long-term relationship building. There's no quick fix there. There's relationships and there's nothing else. Yeah, I mean, people aren't buying a product off a shelf, are they? It's not no. retail. Right? So, exactly. Um, it's a completely different ballgame. But the relationship is critical, not just to doing business with someone, but maintaining that over a long-term basis and that and how that relationship then develops. And But it all starts with buy, people buying into people. And I think LinkedIn is an amazing platform to achieve that. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because something we were talking about off-air before was accountability, and how this relates to accountability, because I think one of the best things about LinkedIn is that it is accountable in that regard. So you are giving people access to who you are authentically, and you are responsible for how you act on this platform. And this is where I think it differs massively from other social media, because on Twitter, you're not really accountable. You can create a Twitter account and just be anyone you want to be, really. Yeah, of course. And I I mentioned this to you off air that um, I had a post go viral on LinkedIn and that got picked up and taken off of LinkedIn, put onto Twitter and it went fairly viral on there as well, but for the wrong reasons. And the response on LinkedIn was wildly positive. The response on Twitter was wildly negative. And I fully believe that, you know, there was people on LinkedIn which wanted to say some of the things that were said on Twitter, but didn't because of the accountability point. And there's also people that saw on Twitter that didn't say the positive things they want to say because of fear of, you know, the mob, mm. you know, that mob mentality. Mm. The be- Personally, the best thing about LinkedIn for me is that level of accountability. You know who you're talking to. You know what they do, where they're from, you know, you know if they write content, you probably have context to who, who they are as a person as well. Whereas you're... If you're on Twitter or what Facebook, whatever, you can make these fake profiles and you can be unknown 25 mm. with a with an egg as your picture and you can just sit there and spurt whatever you want to mm. celebrities to, yeah. you know, you can message Mary Berry and say you don't like her latest cake that she's just brought out, you know, and say that look, they look terrible. Or heaven you, forbid. Heaven forbid. <laughs> you know, whereas yeah. on LinkedIn there's context. There's always context. 
There so, is. I guess the, the counter-argument is, and it's a relevant point, is there is a danger that on LinkedIn things become a bit sanitised because people only ever put out the positive. And I think th- there's definitely some truth in that. You know, I often talk to people about, you know, so when we talk about posting, uh, there's a kind of a menu of different types of posts that you can do that are likely, if they're well-written, to gain a reaction you know, a simple one is to ask a question, right? People are more likely to actually comment if you ask a question. Another one is to make bold statements, right? If you make a bold statement, the chances are people are going to react. You don't have to ask them a question. You just have to make a bold statement and they'll go, oh, I disagree or I agree. But obviously that's, you're getting into dangerous ground then because if you are stirring an emotion in someone, there's a likelihood they're going to respond in a negative way and you might not like that. I just want to, I want to pick up on that point, actually, that people see a lot of people saying what they perceive to be controversial or contentious things whereas people like myself we do if you're if you're writing this sort of content you do your research before it goes out you understand what side of the argument that you sit on you understand what people what the counter argument to what you say is yeah so that when that comes up you're prepared for it yeah whereas some people just say contentious things in order to drive engagement and you know the best example is always frankie boyle where he says contentious things to dro- to create a reaction and to shock shock and awe but people got savvy to it after a while and they went okay now you're just being ridiculous and you're just being mm. rude mm. you know there's no reason as to why and i think that that's what people that aren't creating this stuff on the inside are seeing they're going oh they're just saying this stuff yeah. there's actually been research looked at it yeah I, and i think this is a key point actually in terms of that type of content is you've got to think it through Certainly understand what side of the argument you're on, but at the same time also understand that it, things aren't black and white and that sometimes there can be a really interesting debate on both sides. But I think where LinkedIn perhaps can be a little bit sanitised is that let's say you've got something where you can see... I think the best content or the best discussions are where you, you literally can see a clear line and you've got black on one side and white on the other side and, and it's very clear difference, right? And so you can see that people are going to vehemently argue in case of this and vehemently argue against that, right? And you don't have to have an opinion necessarily. You can just, you know, create the debate and chair the debate from that point onwards. And what happens on LinkedIn is that you'll get a lot of the positive reinforcement of a view, but you won't necessarily get people saying the negative side because they are accountable, right? So the the downside of accountability in that regard is that people don't necessarily say what they think as much because they're more scared of what that looks like, which is a good thing to a point, but potentially gets in the way of good, interesting debate. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. I do think that constructive debate on whatever side is important like i i've built really good relationships with people who just vehemently disagree with a lot of what i say yeah just because we respect each other's opinion even though they differ cognitive diversity yeah which is a really good thing and something that should be encouraged and i think it can happen more on linkedin than it can happen anywhere but that's the downside is that people are very cautious about you know really saying what they think and I think the people that are those overtly cautious people are people that probably wouldn't have got in, involved anyway. I'd, you know, they're, mm. they're so risk averse that, mm. you know, they wouldn't have an opinion regardless of if it was positive or negative or, you know, really, really out there. I think those. Yeah. Yes and no. So I'll give an example. I, I, I'll sit with a client and I'll say to them, 
Right, here's a post, right? Because people often don't understand this, that it's not about posting. Posting's great on LinkedIn, but you should engage more than you post. So therefore, and um, someone I had on my show years ago, Kate Lister, who's a a florist in Grimsby, and uh, very successful on LinkedIn. And uh, she has a philosophy, which is a five-to-one ratio. Five comments on other people's posts to every one post that she does. And she didn't realise when she came up with that idea. She just thought that was fair and, and the way you should be. So you contribute to other people's stuff because it's the right thing to do. And because there's a real algorithm side to that as well. Because the algorithm really reads that you're a very interesting person because you're creating feedback on other people's posts. And uh, so she always works on this kind of five-to-one ratio. Anyway, when I'm working with a client and I say to them, right, we'll start with engagement because that's the easiest place to start. Posting is is going to take you a bit of time to get to and also the creativity of posting often is stimulated by the conversations that you can help to develop on someone else's post so let's look at other posts and let's search for content and find a post so we find one and we come up with this post and, and I go right so is this do you think that as a topic is interesting to your target audience yes okay are your target audience already engaged in this post yes some of them are great so what can you say and typically they'll go I've no idea and I go really All right, so let's just talk about this. Forget about LinkedIn for a second. Forget about commenting. Let me and you, we'll sit down and talk about it now, right? So we do. And they come up with loads of stuff. (laughs) And I go, so why why can't you say that on LinkedIn? Ah, well, I don't know. That just feels a little bit, I've got to be careful. Why do you have to be careful? Let's take that particular comment there. There's nothing controversial in that. You're making a point, and it's an intelligent point, and other people will be challenged by that. So that's a good thing right? That's good debate. You're not making a fool of you or the company you work for at all, right? So just post that. And it takes that to get them to do it. So I get your point, but I think there are some people where, and it's and it's the strength of LinkedIn in that you don't get the cesspit stuff that goes on Twitter. But the downside is people hold back because they go, because there is that reservation because they are accountable and because it's a professional platform. Yeah, I, I, do, I do agree with that. I think it's like anything. People need to start they need to you know I, I massively notice that I have more engagement on my own content when I engage more with a community which is absolutely the way that I think it should be you know yeah. you get you give you take and it's a sort of a balance you can't just write stuff and expect everyone to come to you you have to engage with your you know I think writing a comment which creates more debate and gives another view gives as much insight to your target audience about you as it would have done written in a post that you wrote yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my someone's opinion of me might be based on what they see me commenting on and what they see me saying as much as it is in the post that you, you do yourself. Yeah, absolutely, because the pro- often you've got a better opportunity because if you think about the way the mechanics work, so you've, got, you've done a post and people comment, but sometimes their comment is difficult to come back on it because they don't really say anything. Right? So you can often, they say, oh, that's a really great post, Scott, and you go, thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the debate has to, happen, has to be a two-way thing. Whereas if you're the one commenting on their post, then you're the one that's putting a point forward that they can then come back on. And so in many respects, you're creating more debate by getting involved in someone else's post than being dependent on someone else commenting on your post. I mean, I had this happen to me recently, a post that I saw, um, and it was a good post, and there was a lot of debate. And someone had said something along the lines of, and I'll quote this directly, but something along the lines of, I think it was about LinkedIn stories, which I know we're coming to in a minute. And they'd said, yeah, this is all great, but I'm finding that my feed is full of the wrong type of content, full of stuff I don't want to see, full of blah, blah, blah. You know, you've heard this a million times, I'm sure. I hear it almost every day. And so I just made a comment saying, well, have you considered 
that your feed is related to the content that you are engaging with because that is likely to have a big effect on what you see and that perhaps by unfollowing but also by because you you can do two things with the algorithm you can say i'm going to give you a positive message which is i'm going to comment on stuff or like stuff preferably both i'm going to give you a negative message that says i don't like these people i'm unfollowing them or i don't like this content so i'm going to say don't show me this again so long as you keep doing that then the algorithm will start to give you a better feed, right? So that's kind of the point that I made. And the reply to that was, well, there were two people actually involved in this, and I, I sort of at mentioned both of them, tagged them both in my comment. And then one of them came back and said, that's not the point we were making. <laughs> and that was it. Right, so I'm like, well, it, so we're not having a debate here. You're just saying, that's almost like, you know, having a debate with your partner and they walk out the door. You know, it's like, what? Yeah, there's, there's, there's no back and forth there's no building on what you meant you know if someone, if someone goes I didn't mean that I'm going what did you mean well, exactly. so I, I didn't say that I didn't say so you're saying that's not the point we're making what I could have done is gone back and said so what is the point you're making but I didn't want to sound argumentative which I thought that would have sounded argumentative so I just left it out there and thought if you've got a point that you want to come back on you will do but clearly she didn't <laughs> so there wasn't an argument to that so you just have to walk away from it right so you can only debate where people are willing to do so and people do hold back a bit because of that accountability thing yeah like personally i i have a lot of fun with with poking the bear as it were you know where there is a you know a fun comment or a an interesting debate i want to get involved in i want to you know poke the bear prod the topic or however you want to phrase it Mm. in order to have that debate around something which actually interests me um just purely for for myself that i want to sort of um get more opinions on on that sort of thing um and that's part of what makes the platform good is when people you know you have a community discussing something which multiple people feel important feel is important yeah that's the game isn't it and and when people don't reply to comments they you know say thanks it just kills things mm. just kills engagement mm. kills the reach it kills i think the point of why people say it um i always find it funny when people pick up and going what you've written is clickbait it's yeah. like well <laughs> i hate I, that I, term so when when someone says clickbait so i've written something in order to get a reaction that's the point of content <laughs> You know, in short, because if I can't get a reaction or a comment out of you, we can't get into the topic. But I think the term clickbait has been abused. And what people mean by clickbait is they don't like it. I think these days they go, oh, that's just clickbait. But what they mean is I don't like it because to me, the definition of clickbait, I might be wrong, but my understanding of clickbait is there's a headline. And when you click on it, what you see is in no relation to the headline. So it was bait to get you to click. And this is what, you know, tabloids online do all the time and various other websites out there and that's clickbait but if you put something on linkedin that is designed to get a reaction that's good conversation (laughs) that's good engagement i think you know that that's exactly the point when you have clickbait is you being disingenuous yeah whereas writing something in order to get a reaction which is related to what you're discussing that's not clickbait that's just probably good that's yeah. probably just a good piece of content i mean where, where i i had this debate recently with somebody who did a post and it was a, a friend of mine and she did a post and it was now again i won't quote this exactly because i can't remember it but it was something on the lines of attractive women are always more successful 
that was the headline. Okay, um, and bet, then it was I bet, I bet it got Betty got some engagement. It, it did, right? But she she then went on to say this was what a client or someone I was dealing with recently said to me, and I was absolutely shocked that they could think such a thing. Right now, what I said to her was, okay, that's good in the set. That is a bit clickbaity because nobody's going to argue in favour of that, right? <laughs> you just not, you know that nobody's going to go. I totally agree. Women only get successful because they're good looking. That nobody's going to say that, right? So you're not really create what you're creating is an agreement thread (laughs) and that's not to me good debates that and so it might do well but actually really what are people learning from that and what are people achieving from that or you're going to get a load of people going oh that idiot or yes absolutely you know but and so what so that's kind of a bit nearer what you get to clickbait on LinkedIn. So, yeah, I want to dive into a bit of what you said after that, which is sort of saying about what, what's the actual debate or discussion you're getting from the post. I think that's really where the, you know, the gem is here, is that if you write a post or a piece of content, you want to analyse before it goes out what you think the reaction is going to be. What are people going to talk about? Are they going to say, you think this or you think that, or you're on this side of the debate or that side of the debate? And you look at how that debate looks. And if you go, I'd like that debate, that would be really beneficial to people and it would be a really strong thing. That's probably a sign that you should go and post that piece of content. If you're just doing it to get people to agree with you, you know, that's why the post which someone says something profound and then they put agree, it's like, whatever, I don't care. You've already said your point, I have nothing else to add to it. Whereas if you create a discussion around something important, it brings value to everyone. So yeah, it's about, I think a lot of the time you have an instinct with these things, don't you? Which you kind of build up, I suppose, from experience, but, and I know you think quite heavily about this and, um, and that's something I learned from you actually, is that kind of process of really thinking through what the reaction will be. I traditionally have been quite kind of instinctive with posting. So I'll, uh, I'll give you a, a quick example. I remember once I was in Aberdeen and uh, middle of winter and I had a speaking engagement in the evening quite late, so I had to stay in a hotel. And uh, the flight back the next morning required me getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? So, and I ordered a taxi for 4 o'clock in the morning. Taxi pulls up outside. It's a horrible day, which it often is in Aberdeen in the middle of the winter. And, um, and I'm walking to this taxi, and the thought that comes into my head was, should I sit in the front or the back, right? Because there's only me in this taxi, right? Um, and it wasn't a black cab, it was just a normal car, right? So, it was What's front, your thought on that quickly, front or back? Back, right. right. It was four o'clock in the morning, Scott, right? <laughs> I don't want to have a conversation with someone. So to me, it was no debate in a way, but it was just a, there's always this awkward thought of, should I sit in the front, should I sit in the back? And actually, my experience, if it's not four o'clock in the morning, is that if you feel like having a conversation, taxi drivers are quite appreciative of conversation a lot of the time, and so it can be quite interesting and quite a good thing to sit in the front. But at four o'clock in the morning, it was sit in the back for sure. Anyway. It just occurred to me that it was an interesting debate that people probably... The fact that you just asked me that question, right? It is a thought that we have, right? That this is human nature. It's not to do with LinkedIn training in any way, shape or form, clearly. But posting about that, I know, is going to get a reaction because people have been in that and they're going to go, oh yeah, I've had that thought, right? And so, and when I posted about it, it didn't go viral or anything like that, but I actually literally did it. Um, I found a picture of, um, of a taxi, so it was an image post, and then I just wrote front or back as the headline, which was actually on the image itself, and then just talked about that debate. Anyway, cut a long story short, what happened was that somebody commented on that post and said, if you're female, in the back behind the driver, which was a completely different angle to where I was going with this. I was just like talking about the awkwardness of what you do, 
this guy, but when you looked at his headline, he was a security consultant, right? So he was using the opportunity, and there's nothing wrong with this, by the way. He was using the opportunity to demonstrate his expertise by giving people some free information, if you like, but at the same time demonstrate his expertise. Anyway, on the back of that, he actually got contacted by someone who's a follower of mine who is quite a senior person in a business, CEO of a business, who had got to a stage in her career where she actually felt that security and protection was something she should ought to consider and hadn't really thought about it much, but was conscious of it. And when she saw that post, she saw it from my angle. His comment made her go, because I've had a conversation with her about this since, made her go, never thought about that, but probably should be thinking about things like that. And so she got in contact with him and she ended up as a customer. So she probably had the benefit of hindsight before something happened, really, there. So she had the benefit of, you know, she got taught that lesson before, you know, anything happened in in any kind of situation. She got the opportunity to have that other perspective that she wouldn't have had if that comment didn't arise. And the point of the post, for me, was just a completely different angle. But the point is, if you create conversation, things happen. And it's no more complicated than that. (laughs) If you create conversation, things happen. So create conversations. Was it, um, you know, statements don't create conversations, questions create conversations? Yeah, but bold statements do create conversations. <laughs> no, it, it, it creates a lot of things, um, <laughs> yeah. depending on what those statements are. Um, yeah, I, I, I really I really like that concept about the taxi. It's very simple, isn't it? Um, but, but I think the point of that story is also, and it's a point you made to me, is that you never know when the ideas are going to come from. But if it comes into your head that it's a question that you're asking to yourself, then maybe other people are, and there's a good chance they are, and therefore that is an interesting post, and it doesn't have to be related to business. I mean, that kind of is, because business people get taxis all the time and blah, 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 but it doesn't have to be directly business-related. It just has to be conversational. That's what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think that producing good content is typically about making what you're saying relatable. Personally, the things that have worked for me the best are things where I've probably dug in the deepest and have been the most open about a topic and put myself into the story, put myself into the situation. Or, you know, if you tell a joke in the first person, it's much more effective than the third person, Mm. you know, because there's more context. So I think that if you can put yourself into the situation and then make, make that situation relatable to a lot of people that is where you're going to be able to have an opportunity to have a wider conversation. Yeah, it's been an interesting observation of mine, actually, because storytelling is very powerful, and we know that, but personal stories are so much more powerful than third-party stories, and you can't always do that because you always want to be authentic in what you're saying, but you so often can, and and if you can make it about something that happened to you, then people that resonates with people so much more. Yeah, without question, and I think that people respect typically the the bravery to actually put yourself into it, Um, because I always think that if I could have written your post, you know, it's not as strong as it could be because it's something which I could take away from you because it's just a generic observation or a generic point that anyone could have made. If it's something which relates to I, it's something you did or, you know, people typically think that say a certain topic there's nothing new to add to a certain topic there always is yeah because you have your yourself but you do have to consciously do it right so an example is what i said earlier right when i was talking about the fact that you build an audience and that audience start to understand you now that's a theoretical point that i could explain to you and say 
when you're posting and commenting, what's happening is that people are starting to understand you more, da, da, da. But it doesn't hit home as well as me telling you that through the medium of a story of me explaining this to my girlfriend, how uncomfortable I felt about that. So then you remember it. Now, I could have easily said it not as a story, but you have to be conscious of thinking, actually, the reason why this occurred to me was because it happened to me. So tell people how it happened to you and then they'll remember it more and it just resonates with them better. I completely get all of that and I, I want to make the point as to how much we've just dug into one particular post there and how much you've reflected on what happened and why you said something. I personally think that that is why the best content is the stuff that's not off the cuff. It's you, You've thought about it properly. Mm. You, you, you've thought about why and how and whatever. Mm. I'm not a big advocate of social media calendars and I'm going to post this at Tuesday at 10 o'clock, mm. but I'm a big advocate of actually having some some in-depth thought about why you're saying something mm, mm. um i personally don't believe um you know and a lot of people disagree with me on this because a lot of people do very well that you can produce top quality content if you're posting one two three times a day because it's just not possible most people have a job as well and mm. you know unless you're gary v and you've got a social media team you know mm. reappropriating content's gonna be very difficult i i believe in quality not quantity you don't um, you don't need to i mean i actually think if you were to be successful with three posts a day and engage with them. So successful means that people are commenting, right? And if they're commenting, then you need to reply. You have to reply immediately, I know, but you still have to reply. You're building up an awful lot of work for yourself and you've got other things to do. You just don't need that level of quantity of content. I, just, I don't get that. I mean, the people that push out lots of content typically don't engage. I mean, if you look at what they do, they're, they're pushing out a lot of stuff, usually through Hootsuite and places like it doesn't go anywhere, but the, a lot of them have got massive, like Gary Vee's a good example. He's got a huge following, right? So he only needs to hit a very small percentage of people in the feed to get great success from that. But the likes of me and you, we need to get organic reach. We need people to comment on our posts to get the level of visibility because we haven't got enough followers. We're never going to get 500,000 plus followers, you know? Yeah, of course. And that's why having a sort of a, a measured approach and thinking through what you want to do, yeah. of course, the less you post, the less visible you are. Everyone knows that. But if you had a post that went viral and you consistently make yourself go viral once a month or something, it's going to give you a lot more than getting no engagement and posting three times a day. Well, you say less visible, less visible as in numbers, but not less necessarily. So here's, a, here's an equation. So if I post five times a day every day for five days, right, and I get, I don't know, 100 views on each post, or 1,000 views on each post, no matter what the numbers are, right? The problem is loads of those are repeated, so what's happening is the same people are seeing my content time and time again. If I did one post right, over the same time period, but that actually got organic reach, meaning that it went beyond my followers, then it's reaching a different audience. But it might have the same number of views. When you count up the number of views across one versus 25 posts, it might be the same number of views, but it's not at all the same. Because it's your second, third degree connections who are seeing you for the first time. Um, the interesting thing I, I, I noted after being on your podcast was the the spread of where people were from in terms of your listeners. They're global from all over the place. And the reason that you have a global reach is because you've connected with your second and third degree connections. You're not, you know, you connected with them or resonated with them at some point or someone saw something you said or it's they saw one of your guests and that's why they're seeing your podcast. And having that reach is what, brings new people into your audience and new awareness of something um i've found that posts that have gone viral 
um, with myself, the second third degree connections in Australia and America that are seeing your content for the first time, sometimes they can see what you've written and take it out of context because they don't really understand you because it's the first time they've seen you. You mm. know, it's like seeing a comedian and see, seeing a joke. Yeah. You have no, you know, seeing Jimmy Carr say a joke. Yeah. There's, if without seeing the context as to who he is, you can't yeah. really make a judgment on that joke. Yeah, the, the LinkedIn equivalent of that would be Mike Winnett. So someone cross, comes across Mike Winnett's post for the first time and sees him saying something outrageous about sucking a member of staff because they wore a pair of trainers or something. Um, then they'll be outraged. <laughs> and then, because the thing is, what they should have done is read the comment thread <laughs> and then they get it. The problem is not people haven't got time, do they? And, and also that's social media for you, isn't it really? People don't read the full thing, they just react. And then they look a fool because they didn't get the context of it because he actually was taking the mickey out of people in saying that. That's a classic. That happens all yeah, the time. Yeah, it happens all the time. I think there's also a point is that British people do that more than anyone else. True. That, that I typically, if I write stuff, I'm not saying what I'm really saying. I want you to read between the lines of what I'm actually saying. You know, yeah. you, you get people like Mike Winnett who they're sort of the, the anti of what they're trying to say. Mm. You know, he's probably making fun of what he's actually saying. He's not yeah. actually saying it. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that gets misunderstood in other cultures and stuff like that. But the British people who follow these things closely and understand that humour and that yeah. sort of play on words sometimes. Yeah, and irony. Irony, but, yeah. That's true. And, of course, that is one of the great challenges with LinkedIn because it is an international platform. <laughs> and you are, you know, there's people from all around the world who react in all kinds of different ways and lots of very different cultures that have things that we might consider to be wrong maybe in our views but to them we're absolutely right and that's one of the challenges I think in terms of but the bottom line is as long as you're authentic then if somebody in Saudi Arabia sees my content and they don't like it then they're not going to do business with me and that's okay I don't need to do business with someone that doesn't really like where I'm coming from why should I I'm not trying to appeal to everyone you know nobody yeah. should yeah so I think yeah that's a great point is that you should be comfortable with who you are and what you post before you do it yeah, I, I, I pers so I want to go on to the topic a bit about mental health and LinkedIn social media. Obviously, it's a big topic, is going to continue to be a big topic for, for a long time. I personally talked about my own mental health quite extensively on the platform because I thought, you know, I could be a voice for, for good and, you know, help other people. And, and that did translate, but also made me have to reflect on my own thoughts and feelings so I thought I was dealing with issues by talking about them but mm. I was just talking about them I wasn't actually doing anything right so I had to actually take action mm. but what I would say is that social media is a sensitive place um it thoughts feelings and emotions still live there as well absolutely um we see a lot of good and a lot of bad on the platform what do you what do you think the, st the state of LinkedIn and social media in terms of mental health is? Well, it's interesting actually because, and this isn't a plug, <laughs> um, but I'm actually interviewing Steve Phillip uh, this week. Now, Steve's a good friend of mine and uh, he's another LinkedIn trainer. He's been going almost as long as I have. And um, so we've known each other for years and uh, always had a good friendship, even though we're competitors. And, uh, and his son, towards the end of last year, committed suicide at the blue, massive shock. I was really knocked by it. I didn't know his son at all. I'd never met him I had anything to do with him but I knew Steve quite well and it really knocked me and I have a son who's not similar age but I have a son in his 20s and it really made me think and um and what I'm going to be talking to Steve about is because it's my podcast is about LinkedIn not about mental health but um he you know from the heart talked about the effect that had on him 
and he's very determined to, he's kind of focused on mental health now, massively so, understandably so as well. And, um, but the post that he put out following Jordan's suicide, um, which were quite hard hitting and, um, and very real, yeah, had a massive response. And he has been absolutely bowled over by the amount of people that are contacting him throughout the world. Some of these people desperately needing help. And he realised that he has an audience and the power that comes with that, of being able to actually put out a message that genuinely will help people. And he has been in a position to genuinely put people in touch with help as a result of putting out that content on LinkedIn. So anybody that says, oh, it's not the place... Right, absolute garbage. It's completely the place because it's a really important subject that affects everybody, especially people in business. And and it should be talked about. And the more it's talked about, the better it is for everyone. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think that if you look at semantics of where mental health, depression, anxiety, things like that come from, you know, people in successful careers, high pressure, long hours, you know, takes it toll, takes its toll on you. And, you know, if you're a really high performing individual, one thing goes out of line for you that's going to affect your mental health. I saw Steve's post as well and was really taken aback by it, being similar age to his son and sort of uh, understanding sort of mental health and things like that and just the the openness that he confronted it with uh, in order to help people. And he's found a new direction to support people based on the platform that he already had before this happened mm. is so commendable. Mm. Um there was also a really viral post from Mark Aceford, mm. who did a video saying that he had no friends. Yeah, um, and it was brilliant. I, I saw it and was just like, wow. Like, I've yeah. seen good content from him before, but this was so relevant to so many people. And it went massively viral. Mm. It got picked up by news outlets and things like that. Mm. And it brought up the point that a lot of men uh, focus on their family and their careers, mm. but they often forget about, you know, keeping and nurturing those relationships with their friends mm. because it's often not as big a priority as you know family and career mm. so um yeah i think i think um from my perspective i, I that mark i mean mark's built an audience again you have to put these things in context you, you've got to build an audience first before what you put out is going to have any effect and mark's built a brilliant audience through his video posts and people that know him well, i've never met him but i feel like i know him again that point again and um, and I, I followed his videos for some while. And when he put that out, it really struck home with me. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I can so relate to that. And um, and it wouldn't, you wouldn't relate to it if it's from some stranger you've never seen before. You know, it, it's, that's the power of this building an audience, being consistent, putting out content that resonates with people so, and commenting on other people's stuff that, that allows people to kind of learn who you are, buy into who you are and trust you so that then when you have something to say like Steve did when you have something to say from the heart Steve goes on and says this has happened to me my son has committed suicide and and there's loads of people out there that don't know Steve at all but have followed him and feel like they know him and that's when it has impact and that's why they respond and that's the power that we have through a platform like LinkedIn you don't have to be someone that's got something to sell it's one of the things I'm really keen to try and get this message out to people. There's so many people on LinkedIn who don't, you know, the lurkers who don't do anything because they think, well, it's not my job to. You know, I don't have a job that requires me. I'm not in marketing. I'm not in sales. I'm not in recruitment. Why should I be on LinkedIn? It's like, well, because 
you are a person in a professional capacity. You have a personal brand, and it's really important to you. And you don't know when it's going to be important to you, but you've got to develop. Or you don't have to, but it's a good idea to develop a voice. It really helps. It really helps you in lots of ways. And if it wasn't for Mark and having a voice, he couldn't put that message out that I guarantee you had a real impact on loads of men who went out and did something about it to try and find more friends. And, and Steve actually has helped people and possibly even saved people's lives because he'd made the effort to build a personal brand and have a voice. It's so important, I think, and you never know the impact it can have. And also I think that I'm sure Steve and Mark, before they posted those things, were aware of the responsibility that they had with their audience putting things like that out there in order to put it out there so that it supported people. Um, you have, I think, if you have an engaged audience, you have a responsibility to do good with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's your decision as to what you say and how you say it. Yeah. Um, but seeing people like Steve and Mark produce content like that, you know. It's, it, I, it's interesting because at the moment, the algorithm is very democratic, largely. There's a bit of censorship that happens on LinkedIn but it's largely democratic. And I think that's a force for good. But imagine if LinkedIn suddenly decided tomorrow, I mean, they won't do this, but because it would just be so <laughs> politically incorrect to do it. But imagine if LinkedIn decided tomorrow, we don't want people talking about mental health anymore. They could just say to the algorithm, look for these keywords, mental and health together as a phrase. Any post like that, you know, reduce the circulation of that post. And that I find an interesting thing with LinkedIn. Uh, this really first came into my head when Microsoft took over LinkedIn because I thought, I kind of know LinkedIn well. I've, you know, spoken to these guys for years. You know, I've been doing what I do for 11 years. I kind of got used to this company. And then Microsoft came along. I thought, I don't really know these guys at all. What are they going to be like? Now, fortunately, they've really had very little to do with LinkedIn. It would appear anyway. There appears to be no difference in the culture and the way that they operate. But just imagine if... I don't know, I mean, they get, they've got a new CEO, starts uh, he's internally, so hopefully there won't be a big change, but you never know. Uh, previous CEO is moving on. Yeah, he decides this is the direction we want to go in. And th th this is the thing that slightly scares me, is that, you know, then obviously it won't be something like mental health, because that, that isn't relevant. But imagine if it was something else, like they don't want you talking about X subjects. You know, they don't want people... It's an interesting point, isn't it? Do, do we want people posting pictures of their puppy, right, on LinkedIn? Because a lot of people don't like it. But my view on that is if you don't like it, just unfollow the person that posted it and don't engage with it. Don't say, don't post this here, because then you'll clearly get more of it, right, because the algorithm is working to what it thinks is popular. So my view is keep it democratic. But LinkedIn could turn around and go, oh, we don't want that kind of content on LinkedIn, and start suppressing it. Would mean, you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? It depends on topic by topic on what people are saying. You know, someone putting up a picture of their puppy, someone might, um, a potential client might message them and say, I've got a Labrador as well. And then they bond over that and then they go and have a coffee and now they're, they're working together. Absolutely. So, so where's the line? So where's the line, exactly? You so, know, racism? Are you, allowed to, are you allowed to be racist on LinkedIn? I would stick with the, you know, in the UK. I don't know how exactly it's sort of phrased, but, you know, in, in the UK we have freedom of speech, but sort of... Uh, you that there's certain laws around specific sort of yeah. like hate speech and things like that which that, you can't say and that, whereas in America you can you, your, is it your fifth like your right to say whatever oh yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. whereas in the UK we don't ha we, we have, don't that, have that, that to an point yeah. to a point but, and that brings up the point of different cultures 
right? So and this, this raised its ugly head uh, and still raises its ugly head where Western women get messages from people in certain areas of the world where their attitude towards women is very different. And we might look at that as being really poor play, right? That's a terrible attitude towards women. But in their culture, they don't see it that way. Right? That's just the way they live, okay? And, um, and so where's the right and wrong in all of that? And where's the, you know, it, so if you're going to say on LinkedIn, well, it's, it's wrong to contact a woman and, and, you know, come on to her on LinkedIn and you can get banned for that, then that's clearly wrong in a Western society, pretty much, but might be okay in other societies. And where do you draw the line? And LinkedIn have this difficult line, you know, where is it democratic and where is it censorship? Where does the censorship come in? Yeah, it's a really difficult point um, in, in terms of where is the line. However, I, I have a little bit of a theory as to where I think it's going to go. So I think that LinkedIn's probably going to follow the curve of Instagram, Facebook, where you could build big organic audiences three, four, five, six, ten years ago. Whereas now you can't. It's, you know, if you go onto Facebook, it's paid play. You know, you can only build an audience via structured paid advertising. I think that once LinkedIn give, give enough engagement away for free and have enough engaged users on the platform, they will probably push their agenda via allowing paid ads to come on a lot more than organic. And I, I think, don't buy that. I think that, that it's going it's gonna, to... Ad, the advertising feature of LinkedIn will become heavier as more engaged users enter the platform because that's where they'll make more revenue. Yeah, but that's, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't give you... There's, there's a number of factors in this. One is that you can only advertise from company pages, and company pages already don't engage. Right? So that's already happened. There used to be organic reach on company pages more than there is now. So that side of it's already there. But the personal side, personal profiles and engagement there is still strong. And I don't see that change anytime soon. Because the big difference, people always forget this, when they go, oh, it happened to Facebook, so it's going to happen to LinkedIn. But on Facebook, it's a completely different demographic, completely different people in a different environment, right? So they're not at work, they're in a different mentality. But also, you know, on, on LinkedIn, you've got people who are, you know, building an audience, right? and yes, selling to them, right? but engaging with these people, which creates more people coming to the platform that allows them to sell more ads. But you've also got a completely different commercial structure, you know, uh, Facebook has never had subscriptions. LinkedIn from day one was a subscription-based product. Right? So 60% of LinkedIn's revenue comes from LinkedIn Recruiter. Now, that's a key product to them, 60% of their revenue. Very key, right? So the more people that engage, right, the more people that come to the platform, the more information they put in their profiles, the more they give away about themselves, the more LinkedIn can sell to recruiters, hey, buy this recruiter product because all of these people you can get access to. So to me, I don't see it going down that route. I don't, I, who knows? Don't have a crystal ball. But I don't see it going down that route. I, don't, I think that's contrary to what LinkedIn are trying to achieve. Okay. Uh, I, I do agree with what, you, what you've said there. And that does give me confidence that it's not going to suddenly be you know, shut down in 18 months, two years, three years' time, that it's going to be no fun anymore. We're not going to be able to do any of these these things. Um, I think, obviously, there will become a more of a, a paid ad element to things um, as they sort of understand their, their network better, more people, more engagement on the platform. But I really do like the point about how content creators and people who create engagement on the platform 
actually create revenue for LinkedIn. You know, Absolutely. If I'm getting millions of views of my content, that's keeping people on the platform for longer. If they want more access to see what people are doing, they're probably going to be able to sell more subscriptions to different products which are around whatever. So, yeah, that, that does give me confidence, actually, and I, d- I didn't think of it in, in, that, in that way. I mean, ads are increasing and ads are going to continue to increase. And we talked briefly before about this new feature, LinkedIn Stories, coming in. And when I analyse, you know, what a LinkedIn Story is going to look like, it's inevitable that you're going to see ads in there as well, which gives them another way of being able to sell advertising. And, of course, the other thing about ads is LinkedIn have never been shy on putting high prices to their products. Everything you do on LinkedIn is very expensive because they're mainly geared up for enterprise clients, right? They mainly sell to enterprise companies. So they're quite high price. And so their adverts are much more expensive than Facebook always have been. And they won't be shy in keeping putting them up as the demand increases, you know. And because you've got, you know, a, a demographic of higher earners on LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, and B2B rather than B2C, you can do that, you know. So I, I, I do see it as being, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but I do see it as being quite different. And I think the Gary V argument that, oh, it happened to Facebook, it's going to happen to LinkedIn, I just think that that's too basic. There's, there's more complexity to it than that. So in short now is still a good time to build a personal brand and it will still be a good time to build a personal brand in the years to come, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that, that personal brand argument is very important because I think that um, everybody can benefit from building a personal brand. And I think today's young professionals should be thinking about their brand as much as the company that they work for's brand. And it's, it's critical that they do that. I think, and I think that the best company brands will be made up of multiple strong personal brands. Absolutely, hundred percent agree with that. Because then you've got a team, yeah. haven't you? A team which they're all individuals, but they all they all share a common goal. That's ultimately what a great team is. Um, you can you can go one way or the other with employment. Obviously, this is a subject very close to your heart, working at MBA. But you know, for me, you can either say we want to employ great people. Right, but and stop them leaving. So ring fence them in some way. And I always remember this is you know an old boss of mine when LinkedIn first started happening. And I said, yeah, we need to get on LinkedIn. And he was like, we want nothing to do with it because LinkedIn is just going to make it easier for people to poach our staff. And still, people are saying that today. I still hear that argument. And I'm like, why would it? Why would anybody want to leave if we're allowing them and encouraging them to develop their personal brand that we are living on the back of? <laughs> that gives them independence. They can be independently successful. And on the back of that, we as an organization become very successful. That to me is much more the future of employment than it is having a situation where you employ good talented people and make it very difficult for them to leave. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if you, you know, I have no problem with, you know, everyone having the same banner on their LinkedIn or whatever. There's no problem with that. I don't think it causes any issues. I think everyone, however, should talk about what resonates with them you know, what is important to them, you know, I, I have the strong opinion, so I work for a recruitment business. I think that our recruiters should talk about the things that, the, the topics that, that relate to the people that they recruit for. So if you hire software developers, you should talk about things that software developers care Absolutely. about. And if I'm a marketer and I talk about marketing, you know, that's great. And you've got multiple people in the businesses talking about completely different things, but are all relevant to the yeah. business in some way. And the business gets that for free. And a subject close to your heart, employer branding. Yeah, employer branding to me, maybe it's just the way I see it, but 
the attraction to work for a company comes from the people that work in the company. You know, I worked in recruitment for 20 years, and trust me, the main reason people leave is because of the people they work with. And also, one of the big reasons why they join is that I met the team, and I just felt right, and da-da-da-da. And actually, if you had a scenario where you're, you don't need to tell your employees to talk about how amazing it is, because if you put a gun to their head and go smile for the camera then it's just false rubbish, right? But if you create an environment in a company where people are empowered to go on places like LinkedIn and be themselves, that attracts people into the business. Now, you're a very good example of that, you know? You, you are yourself. You know, you have your own brand and you represent an organisation. Yeah, and an interesting point on that as well is that um, I've had people say to me on LinkedIn that, oh, MBA must be such an interesting, cool place to work, whatever. Absolutely. And I'm like, why do you think that? You know, you know, it might be, it might not. Why do you think that? And they're like, well, because of how you are, yeah. and they allow you to do that. I'm like, okay, that's that that's the point in itself. It is absolutely hundred percent. But it takes a brave company to empower its employees to develop their own personal brands. And not everybody's going to want to do that. Accept that. But a lot of people, a lot more people could than do. And they should be encouraged by the employers to do it because the employer is the one that benefits. Yeah, of course. And, you know, uh, my CEO, Matt, I do scare him on a weekly basis with the sort of things I come out with. And he says, why have you done this? And then he sees the positive results as to what I've done and goes, "Ah, okay, fair enough, I get it. The difference between Matt and most CEOs is that he has the scary thoughts, but he still lets you do it. Yeah, and I think (laughs) that's probably one of the reasons why I work here and not another business is because if I wasn't able to be authentic and be myself, I wouldn't feel like one, I'd be able to support the organization as well as I do. Uh, And two, I'd probably feel like I wasn't being authentic to myself. And I think more and more as millennials, is it Gen X sort of come through into the Mm. workforce, the line between professional self and personal self is, is diminishing. Um, And that, you know, personally I'm, the same person outside of work as I am inside of work. And I very much believe, unless you are a completely terrible person, try and be yourself where possible. Um, You know, I think gone are the days of, this is who I am in the office and this is who I am in the pub or whatever. That should be, by and large, the same sort of person. Yeah, by and large. And And I think circling back to LinkedIn in that regard, I think that LinkedIn, and we talked about, you know, having responsibility for what you do on LinkedIn and you're accountable for what you are on LinkedIn because it's associated with the company that you work and all the rest of it. So this all circles back around to this environment that LinkedIn's a safe place to do that because people are accountable and they're going to be, all right, sometimes it can be a bit sanitized, but at least you're in a safe place, you know, and you can be yourself and you've been that and you've done that. And yes, you've had some negative feedback, but nothing like what you saw on that Twitter Right? So, and that, to me, is the biggest selling point for developing your personal brand on LinkedIn because you, you're in a, a safer environment where you can actually really be yourself and people will actually really buy into you and not try and knock you down all the time because they can't because they're not anonymous. And I think that is a good place to wrap it up. Um, yeah, absolutely. You're not anonymous. You have accountability. And that's such a strength of the platform, I think. Absolutely. So... Mark, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Today, we've gone over um, LinkedIn strategy. We've talked about censorship on the platform. We've talked about mental health, accountability, and also some sort of different ideas we've, we've got about where we think it might go in the future. So, Mark, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And, uh, yeah, I hope you all enjoy it.
yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was great fun. Thanks. Thanks, guys.